let me pick up on or follow up on something that I, I mentioned last week. One of the big themes of First Kings and now Second Kings is the importance of God's Word, hearing it, receiving it, responding to it, and living by it. And so for weeks we've been highlighting and I've been stressing the need to be people who read and reflect God's Word, who seek it and who share it, who love it and who live it. And, and last Sunday I mentioned this little book that I would like to make available to encourage us further on that journey. And it's a little book called Before You Open Your Bible. And the subheading reads, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word. And it's not a little book on how to read the Bible, but it is a book that attempts to rejuvenate your approach to Scripture, that encourages you to think about how you come to God's Word. Like right now, for example, how do you come to God's Word now? How do you approach God's Word as you open it at home by yourself? Here's a couple of the, the postures or the titles. Approach your Bible desperately. Approach your Bible expectantly. And as I say, there are nine of these because how we approach God's Word will often determine or it will certainly impact and influence how we hear it. How we approach it will influence how we hear it and respond to it. It's a short book. It's brilliant. It's a pound. I've got 50 of them. And so first come, first serve this morning. I'm going to have them down at the door at the end with me. So if you want to grab one, please do. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, if you were here last week, in the first seven verses, we came across a destitute widow. And she cried out to Elisha in her time of need. And as Elisha asked her, or as he listened, he then turned around to her and he asked her a question. It was a great question, and it became the kind of main takeaway from last Sunday. Who, who can tell me what that question was that Elisha asked her? How can I help you? It's there if you have a Bible in front of you. It's there in verse 2. And so for those who were here last week, how have you got on with that? How have you got on? Who did you ask and what happened? This morning, we come to the, the second story in this chapter. It's the longest of the four stories that are contained in 2 Kings chapter 4. And we did start the second story last week. We got it to the point where, where Elisha is once again offering to do something for another person. Only this time, the person isn't specifically asking for any help, or at least not initially. Now, before we, we read, I want to encourage you to do something, particularly if you were here last week. I want you to notice the contrasts between the first story and the second story. And by the way, there are some aspects of this story that may be potentially painful for some people here this morning, and I need to be aware of that. And there are also other aspects of this story that are just plain weird. So listen out for the seven sneezes. Let's stand together for the public reading of God's Word. And let's remember, and this is really important, all Scripture is God-breathed, and all of it is useful. So here goes. One day, I don't have it on the screen this morning because there's just too much of it, and I am going to take the time to read it. 
So if you can follow on with somebody beside you who's got a copy of God's word, that would be great. One day, Elisha went to Schumann, and a well-to-do woman was there, this is verse 8, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat, and she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him, and then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. And one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there and he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shumanite. So he called her and she stood before him and Elisha said to her, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, she has no son, and her husband is old. And then Elisha said, well, look, call her. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. About this next time, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her, and the child grew. And one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. And his father told the servant, carry him home to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and then she shut the door and she went out. And she called to her husband and she said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so that I can go to the man of God quickly in return. But why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's the Shumanite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden from me. Why? Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt, take your staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead. He did lay the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound. There was no response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and said to him, the boy has not awakened. And when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in. He shut the door on the two of them and he prayed to the Lord. And then he got on the bed and he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away, walked back and forth in the room, and then he got onto the bed and stretched out on him once more. 
the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shumanite, and he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. And she came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. It's an incredible story, isn't it? But I want you, if you're here, notice the contrasts. So here's just some of the contrasts. Last week, a poor widow. This week, a rich wife. Last week, two kids. This week, no kids, at least initially. Last week, no food in the house, only a small jar of olive oil. This week, meals available at any time, plus a penthouse suite built onto the roof for a guest. Last week, an unnamed woman appeals to Alicia. This week, an unnamed woman asks Alicia for nothing. Last week, a miracle saves kids. This week, a miracle leads to death. And then to life again. Last week, Alicia appears to take the lead. This week, the lady appears to take the initiative. Different people, different circumstances, different issues, different challenges. Same God. Same God, active, involved, and interested in both stories. But what I want to do this morning is primarily focus on the character of this lady, who I think is is another one of those unsung heroes of Scripture who may have something to teach us. Alicia's story does feature strongly in these verses, but the other main character in 2 Kings 4, 8 to 37 deserves attention. Now, I did say earlier that there are aspects of this story that are going to be painful for some people. Given the issues that this story raises around childlessness and disappointment and loss, and I do need to be sensitive to that. But let's begin to kind of explore the character of this unnamed Shumanite woman. And she's rich, she's well-to-do. That's the first thing the narrator tells us, apart from the fact of where she lives. But he says she's well-to-do. She's a lady of means, which is fine. But in the first two verses, look at verses 8 to 10, because in those first two verses, you discover another couple of key aspects of her character. And the first is her generous hospitality. And so Elisha is invited for dinner one day. So there is a first time. There always is a first time when you invite someone. But then he gets invited to call in for a meal any time he's passing. But more than that, the lady and her husband extend their home to include space for this person so that he can stay over whenever he's next around. Generous hospitality. It's one of the identifying features of Christian community, isn't it? And it should be. We are to be a people, according to the apostle Peter, who offer hospitality to one another. It's one of the list of countless one another's that we come across in the New Testament that characterize Christians and Christian community. We've got to love one another and forgive one another and encourage one another and comfort one another. And we've got to offer hospitality to one another. You don't have to be a Christian to do this. 
But if you are a Christian, then you should do this, it would seem. By the way, I love the way the Apostle Peter finishes this. Can anybody tell me how this verse actually finishes? Without complaining. Do we have to have them around? I I know many of you were at New Horizon uh, this year. And one of the seminars was entitled, The Local Church, A Radical Hospitable Community. Now, the person who delivered that seminar is Alison Mark, and she's here this morning. And she's been coming to Windsor for a few months now. That's all I'm telling you about that. But a defining feature that she shared at that seminar was about the fact that hospitality should characterize a local church and should characterize a local Christian's life. And this Shumanite woman showed generous hospitality. Now, I'm not suggesting we all need to add extra rooms or convert existing ones for guests. No, although you may want to do that. I'm not even suggesting you invite someone around for a meal, although please do that. But as Alison pointed out in her seminar, generous hospitality can be expressed by simply saying hello to someone this morning for the first time. It can be expressed as you invite someone who's sitting on their own to come and sit with you this morning. Or it can be expressed as you notice a new person and you just go along and sit beside them and say hello to them this morning. Or generous hospitality can be expressed when over coffee you choose to go and actually have a chat with someone you've never spoken to before. It's the simple things, but they should characterize us as we reach out to others, as we don't think just of ourselves, as we don't just stick with those we know, but actually we take risks, and we offer hospitality to those we don't in simple as well as bigger ways. This lady used her wealth as an opportunity to bless others, and many here do that. She cared about people. She, she wasn't selfish, it would seem. The second thing I want us to notice in those first couple of verses, have a look at this with me, is that she was able to identify Elisha as a holy man of God. She could tell godliness in a person's life. Now, how she knew it, we're not entirely sure. All it says is, I know, this is what the woman said, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. I don't think that implies that someone told her that. I think she was able to discern holiness. I think she was able to discern holiness through watching and listening to Elisha as she had him round to her house as they shared meals together. And I realize that that primarily reveals the integrity and authenticity of Elisha, that he practiced what he preached, that he was, in fact, the real deal. There was nothing fake about him. And so she said, I I, I can tell that this is a holy man of God. But what it also reveals is here is a woman who is sensitive and tuned in to the things of God. Holy discernment. In the next couple of verses, you then discover this is a woman of contentment. So Elisha obviously appreciates the kindness that she and her husband have shown to him, and he wants to reciprocate that. He wants to return the favor. And so he gets his servant, Gehazan. This is the first time we discover that Elisha has a servant. 
But it shouldn't really come as any great surprise because we all know that Elisha was Elijah's servant who poured water on his hands. So Elisha having a servant is no big deal. So Elisha says to his servant Gehazi, look, ask our host, now what can we do for you? Like, can we put in a good word for you with the king or with the commander of the army? You see, it seems that Elisha knows people in high places. And so the potential for quite serious payback and help is on the table. But the woman turns around and says this. It's fascinating. I have a home among my people. In other words, I'm okay. I don't need anything. If, if you've got a message version or translation of the Bible, here's the way it paraphrases that or captures that. Now, what can be done for you? Nothing. I'm secure and satisfied in my family. Now, as we all know, as the story progresses, the woman doesn't have everything she wanted. Certainly not in that culture at that time. But her response to Elisha and his servant reveals a person who has discovered contentment, which has been described as a rare jewel. And as we all know, according to Scripture, godliness with contentment is great Gain. Are you content this morning? I mean, the Apostle Paul later on says, I have learned to be content. See, it doesn't come naturally, does it? Or it doesn't tend to come naturally to most people. We need to learn it. Learn it. it seems this woman had learned it. She was happy with what she had in her life as opposed to being bitter with what she lacked. And so she had learned to be content. And then it's the next little bit that gets you, doesn't it? Whatever the circumstances. That's hard. Whatever the circumstances. So are, are you content this morning? And what our reply also reveals is that there was, there's no ulterior motive to this woman's kindness. Her generous hospitality was just that. She wasn't doing it in order to get something or to get somewhere in return. And so, again, what about us this morning? Well, Elisha, he's not satisfied with the answer. He, he really wants to do something for her. And so, whenever she goes back downstairs, he asks Gehazi, this is verse 14, listen, what can be done for her? It's got to be something. And Gehazi turns around and says, she has no son, and her husband is old. Now, this, this is personal. And okay, as I said, not having a son in that culture was a major issue. This is deeply personal. And surely this is getting into dangerous territory. Those familiar with Scripture will recognize this kind of situation, a childless couple with age against them. Although in this story, it's only one party who's too old to have kids. Turns out this Shumanite woman married a much older man. And so Elisha calls her back again, or Gehazi does. And as she stands in the doorway, Elisha shares an extraordinary prediction. Extraordinary word. 
He says, about this time next year, you're going to hold a son in your arms. And the Shumanite woman doesn't laugh as others have. She objects. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant because it now becomes blindingly obvious that not having a son was a painful issue to this woman. This clearly was something that she had hoped for. But going back to what we've already highlighted, we discovered that this is a woman who has learned contentment against a backdrop of bitter disappointment. She's learned contentment whatever her circumstances. And so this woman's initial response to what can we do for you is even more striking. I am secure and satisfied in my family. And the story moves on really quickly in our text because a verse later, it's a year later, And Elisha's prediction comes true. And this lady gives birth to a son. And so the promise is fulfilled. And the boy grows up. And then the unspeakable happens. The boy develops a pain in his head. When he's out in the fields with his dad. And his dad gets a servant to take the boy home to his mother. And when he gets home to his mother. His mother cradles him in her arms. And at noon, he dies. And what the mom does is fascinating. She takes her son and and, and she lays him on Alicia's bed and she closes the door of of his room and she calls her husband and she says, I need you to arrange transport for me to go and see Alicia, the man of God. It seems she did not tell her husband what had happened. And we know that because he asks his wife, why are you going to see Alicia today? It's not even a special day. It's not even the new moon. It's not even the Sabbath day. Why are you going to see Alicia today? And what does the woman reply to her husband? That's all right. And off she goes. Why does she do this? Why does she not tell him? Is it because she believes that her only hope in her time of greatest need, is in God, or in the man of God. And therefore she seeks him first. Or is it because this mess, and this is a total, total mess, this mess makes no sense apart from God. Can't talk to anyone else. Can't face this. I need to go to God. It's also interesting that whenever Elisha sees the woman approaching at a distance, he sends Gehazi out to her. And Gehazi says to her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And what is her reply? Everything's all right. No, it isn't. So clearly this woman is being highly selective in who she goes to first in her time of need and distress. God. The man of God, he is my first port of call. And the moment she sees Alicia, she she holds on to his feet and she breaks down and her raw emotion spills out. And she says to Alicia, and I love this, the raw, she said, did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? 
feel the pain. And there's honesty and there's frustration in those words. But she's expressing them to God or to the man of God. She's not ranting and raving to anyone else, or at least not for now. Anyway, she's gone straight to the source. And so Elisha dispatches Gehazi and says, look, will you go and lay my staff in the boy's face? And the woman is not entirely satisfied with that idea. And she says, listen, I'm going nowhere and we're going nowhere. We're going together, so come on. And Gehazi did run ahead and he did lay the, the staff on the boy's face. And right enough, nothing happened. And so Gehazi leaves the house and he sprints back and he meets Elisha and he says, listen, the boy is dead. And Elisha eventually arrives and he goes into his room where the boy's lying. And it says he shuts the door and he prays to the Lord. And then, and then I know what happens next it's just weird. The lying on the corpse. The boy's body growing warm. The pacing up and down. The lying back again on the corpse. And then the seven sneezes. Now, for those of you who've been following this series, I hope, you rem- I hope this rings some bells. Because back in 1 Kings 17, Elijah did a similar thing with a widow's son who had died whenever he was staying with her. He lay, it says, on the boy's corpse and he came back to life. And here in 2 Kings 4, it happens again. A dead son miraculously comes back to life whenever a prophet lies on him, which is a kind of a side, further reveals that the spirit of Elijah really does rest on Elisha. Whenever Elisha picked up that mantle in 2 Kings chapter 2, he did become God's man. He was able to do similar things that Elijah did. But there are two critical issues to highlight as the story draws to a close. Because I know we can't get distracted by those bizarre actions of the prophets. But in both cases, and we must not miss this, in both cases, in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 4, both prophets prayed to the Lord. They cried out to God and then they saw life restored. You see, prayer alters reality. Prayer changes lives. Prayer impacts situations. Prayer unleashes God's power. Prayer unlocks doors. Prayer aligns us to God's heart. Prayer connects heaven to earth. Prayer presents our requests before God. Prayer makes a difference. As John Wesley once said, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. That doesn't mean every time you pray, miracles happen, or at least this kind of miracle, but it does mean that you've got to look to God, you've got to turn to God, you've got to depend on God for every breath that you take in every circumstance of life and in order to accept his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is essential. It's life-changing. It's life-giving. And so again, we come around to those kind of questions that we ask from time to time, and we've got to keep asking and keep asking, how is your prayer life? How has your dialogue with your father been this week? And you've gone in and you shut the door when life is pressing in and crowding in and cramming in on you and stuff is all going awry. You close the door and talk to your father because you believe prayer. This is what it 
God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. The second thing I want to highlight just takes us back to the character of this unnamed woman of faith. Her trust in God against all odds is incredible. Her trust in God against all odds is incredible. In the midst of her pain, in the midst of her disappointment, in the midst of her shattered dreams and dismantled hopes, she didn't turn her back on God. She sought him out. And she put her trust and her confidence in him. In lots of ways, this isn't an easy story. And I know there are lots of people here, many people here, and many people we know who are living with pain and disappointment and shattered dreams and dismantled hopes. And people have built up our hopes. And we're struggling and we're wrestling with it. But where are we turning? Who are we turning to? Where is our trust? Where is our confidence? Where is our faith this morning? Elisha is a key character in these early chapters in 2 Kings. And there are many lessons to learn from him, for example, prayer. But I want to suggest there's also lessons to learn from the relatively unknown characters of Scripture, like the Shumanite woman. Lessons about generous hospitality, holy discernment, godly contentment, determined dependency in the face of tragedy and total trust in a God who is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. May we all take something from this God-breathed word and may it be useful to us in the week that lies ahead. And remember, how you approach God's word will determine how you hear it.